Hey everybody, um, this is Luke and Albert, and we're here with our first episode of our, I don't know, investing podcast. We don't know what we're going to call it, right? We're helping a bunch of friends at the moment think about their own investments. And so we thought, rather than having endless WhatsApp chit-chats with such a combination of different people, we just try and get it all into one, hopefully, 10-minute video. Yeah. Good, sounds good to me. So, uh, so you know, why don't you start by telling us a bit more about yourself, Luke? Uh, all right, cool. So, um so yeah, I'm Luke. I've been, I guess we're talking about investing, right? So let's focus on that. So I got interested in investing about <laughs> uh, 20 years ago, I'd say. Um, and I, was, I got interested because I was reading a book um, by this a pair of brothers in the US called, um, they call themselves The Motley Fool these days. And I read their first book and it really got me kind of interested in it. And I'd done a little bit of investing, um, or I would say sort of trading. And like a good example was... Uh, you know, stock tips from friends, a few hundred pounds here and there. But really, I didn't get it. I was just kind of gambling and messing around. And then I read this book and it made me think about investing in a bit of a different way. And I suppose um, I suppose I got serious about investing about 15 years ago. And I think back mm -hmm. to the, the first proper thing I bought. And it was a company called Intuitive Surgical. And for the first time, I'd sort of, right. I'd looked at a company and said, actually, what does this company do? You know, why do I think they're going to be successful? And we'll probably talk about intuitive surgical on a future video specifically. Um, but it's something I, you know, it's the first real thing I bought and I'm still holding it today. And, you know, buying something with a kind of long range view kind of suddenly opened my mind to what investing could be about. Um, right. Alp, how did you get started? Well, as you know, we're about the same age. So I probably started, started investing more or less around the same time, about 20 years ago. Uh, you know, yeah. I started uh, by buying funds uh, just to, because, you know, that's how I thought people invested in those days. And, you know, similarly, I read a few books about investing and uh, I can't remember exactly when I first started investing in stocks, uh, but I do remember one uh, that I, I bought very early on. I remember reading an article uh, about a company called Tilkinson Glass, right? And they said they had invented self-cleaning glass. And I thought, this is a game changer. Everybody's going to buy this. Right? You know, every building is going to use this because, you know, why wouldn't you? So I bought uh, some stock in Tilkinson Glass, and, you know, and it did quite well, actually. Uh, I sold it a year later, right, uh, for about a gain of 50%. And, uh, you know, if I tell you the, the amount of money involved, you can just kind of laugh because it was so low. But like at the time, you know, I felt I was a genius. And I, and I, I realized that I actually enjoyed the process of reading about companies and trying to assess their commercial uh, prospects. And I haven't looked back since actually. I've, from then on, uh, I stopped investing in funds and carried on with the stock. And I'll be the first to admit, for the first few years, that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. You know, but as you said, you learn along the way, you read books, and gradually, you get better. You do. And it's definitely, like, every day is a bit of a lesson, and it's a kind of learning opportunity. Like, I've, it's been so valuable for me having these conversations with you, because we've been having these chats for 15 years now. and the, yeah, a long time the most valuable thing is just kind of challenging each other and then, you know, taking the piss out of each other a bit, you know, 
um, having a different perspective and a different view and a debate. You know, why do I think this is a good company? Why do you wildly disagree? And then, you know, time time proves, you generally, time proves us both right in different ways. Um, Absolutely. Like, uh, I think uh, for me, you know, I really got more serious about investing when I found out you were doing the same thing and we both kind of got into it together. And having someone like, like yourself to bounce ideas off and discuss uh, these ideas really, really helped and really, uh, you know, encouraged me to find out more. And, you know, I guess that's the first point we could make. You know, if, if you're starting off, you know, it does help a lot if you can find somebody, you know, at more or less the same stage, someone that you can talk to openly and just discuss these ideas without any fear of, you know, of, uh, of being made fun of, right? Yeah. So one, one thing I'll say as well about the question of, like, why invest in the stock market? So I was thinking this morning, like, the different ways to make money. And uh, I, th- I can think of four. It's probably, you probably chop this up in lots of different ways. Right? Uh-huh. So, um, like, you can sweat. You can work for a business and, you know, through your brain or your manual labor, whatever it is, you get a salary and you make money. And that is not scalable. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're limited. Your money-making ability is limited by your own ability to generate value, whatever that might be, laying bricks or creating spreadsheets. Um then another way you could own a business. So still on that same continuum, right? You've, but you're the business owner now. And depends on the type of business. The business itself might be scalable or non-scalable. You know, it might be a business with um, where you're just kind of selling your own services or you're selling something, you know, maybe you're a hot dog fan and you're selling, you know, burgers or whatever. And again, it's a business. You probably make more money than being the employee. You're now the employer. But that's not scalable. There are some businesses that are massively scalable. And that's really where you build really, really serious amounts of money. But there are two other ways to make money as well, I can think of. That's property. Um, you know, you, maybe you own your own house and you go and you move and you let it out. Or perhaps you create buy to let investments. We've got a few friends that do that. And maybe you get a few properties going. And what they're, what they're doing is creating something called passive income. So this is a distinction between active income, I'm doing stuff, making wealth, or passive income. And I think as a, you know, are you working for your money or is your money working for you? Right. So owning property is a way of, of creating a passive income stream. But my concern about having too much property, and certainly it's got a place in a portfolio, is, you know, one, you're massively undiversified right if all of your money is tied up in 10 15 properties whatever it is um and if the property market takes a bomb then you could be in serious trouble particularly if you're massively over leveraged and you've got huge debts on these properties and you can't service them um so uh, the fourth way is i think buying investments owning bits of companies um so then you're getting now that is for me is the perfectly scalable investment and it's so agile as well, right? You can put your money in play. You can get leverage if you want, but we, I think we were both highly advised against leveraged investment, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, but you get your money to work, you invest in good quality companies, and you sit back and somebody else, the business owner, is doing all the work for you. Um, yeah, can you think of other ways to make money? Or do you think that's a good way of chopping it up? Yeah, it's a pretty good way. Uh, I can think of a fifth way, which is just to steal it. But uh, <laughs> we'll just uh, forget about that one. But you have a lot to gain from that. 
but I think, you know, uh, what you said makes a lot of sense. But when you break it down, I mean, the difference between property and in stocks is, is just that they're just different types of assets, right? Mm. You know, they have different types of liquidity, like you know, how, how easy it to buy and, buy and sell, and have different types of risk, right? Uh, and I guess you can view assets you know, in that kind of spectrum. You know, some are going to be highly illiquid, and some are going to be like, you know, high risk versus low risk. But and these apply to, you know, stocks as well. You know, different stocks have different qualities. Um, but when, when you said the distinctions between either you earn it or you have assets, right? Uh, the reason for, for investing in the stock market is because it's the easiest way to acquire assets. Assets meaning things that uh, gain in value over time. Uh, you know, you look at somebody like uh, Jeff Bezos, right? I think it was estimated in the last six months, his net worth has increased by about maybe $50 billion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't get that from his day job, right? He got that because he owns Amazon stock. And Amazon stock has increased in value. And, like, and the great thing about the public market is that you too can own Amazon stock. Not as much as Jeff Bezos, but you can own Amazon stock, and you can share in the gains that that our company makes. Totally, and you know Amazon has done phenomenally well over the last couple of decades, and we've been lucky enough to be part of that journey. But um, you know, even if you don't find the next Amazon or the next Netflix or the next Tesla, right, the whole market increases in value over time. I think over the last hundred years, the market has appreciated by. 10% a year every year you know there'll be if you look at any one year maybe things are down if you look at this year for bizarre reasons the market is through the roof and you know many people's portfolios have doubled in value this year um, but in the long run as you say on average you're going to make about 10% a year it's a pretty good return that's certainly better than sticking cash in the bank right now yeah also worth mentioning that it's 10% compounded each year right it's not just 10% on your original investment Ten yeah. percent on whatever that portfolio is worth, yeah, you know, in that year, and you know if you do the if you do the math, it's it's crazy. Like if you do the math of ten percent over twenty years, you'd be you'd be surprised how much money that is. It is, and if you you know the the sort of one of the sayings is you can't beat the market. If you look at professional fund managers and you know the guys that create the indexes, and you know some companies invest you know, millions, tens of million of pounds into their research, into individuals who they think are great stock pickers. These guys don't do very well. You know, in many cases, they underperform the market. They return less than that 10% that the market would. The individual investor, for very good reasons, that we probably haven't got time to get into today, can beat that, right? And, you know, I think you and I have been pretty lucky. But just to, I think it's worth just sharing one or two numbers. Um, So, you, know, you you and I, I think, are returning, at the start of this year, we were returning about 30 to 32% compounded over a 15-plus year period. Actually, this year has been wild, and my numbers are currently 45% compounded, suddenly because things have gone through the roof, right? Now, if, I, I wouldn't sort of, I wouldn't build bank my future on having a 45% return every year until, you know, the day I die, but... 
Um, but I am I am planning it based on a more conservative 25%. More conservative 25%. That is a ludicrous number that no fund manager can touch. And if you approach yeah. investing with the right mindset and the right way, you can achieve those numbers, no problem. Yeah. So, okay, a common question, you know, from that is that, you know, why should I buy individual stocks when I can just buy funds? And you, you just rightly explain why. You know, because fund managers have a lot of restrictions on how they, you know, how they invest. You know, they are more concerned about short-term profit than, than long-term performance. And that restricts them to what they can do. And also, you know, um, you know, as you said, most managed funds underperform the market. And one reason for that is that, you know, fund managers take a huge cut, you know, as part of their fees. You know, I like to say that, you know, that the only person getting rich, you know, from, from funds is the fund manager, you know. And uh, if you can uh, manage your own portfolio, then you don't have to give them that cut. You, 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 you keep that for yourself. And I read a really interesting uh, tweet yesterday from a chap I follow who's a really smart guy. Um, and the, the, I think the quote was, like that 1% fee, that compounds as well, right? So if you're, you know, if you're instead of making, you know, maybe 15 or 20%, if you're making 1% less than that, actually that has a material difference in the long run. Um, and, you know, just that 1% fee that's going to the fund manager that can reduce the overall size of your portfolio by like 25 plus percent over the course of like an investing lifetime. That's a chunk of money. Right. Okay. So I was going to say a little thing about, you know, should I invest in individual stocks? And this is a little bit of a tricky question um, because, you know, to do it well, you have to put the time in. You have to put the time into uh, reading about business, learning about business, uh, you know, and just doing your research on the companies that you want to invest in. Now, if you're the kind of person who doesn't have time or the interest to do that, right, you know, you're probably better off in just investing in, you know, index, index funds, you know, low-cost, passively managed index funds. You know, in that way, you, you get to partake in the market, uh, market gains without a lot of work, right? If you have a certain interest or a certain uh, area of expertise, you actually have an advantage over other investors. You know, when it comes to investing in companies in that space, you know, you, know, you actually can use that knowledge to improve your your chances of you know making money from those stocks. You know, as an example, like, you know, if if you work in pharmaceuticals and you're reading clinical reports, you know, uh, you know reading uh, research papers, you know, finding out about new products, you have a, a huge advantage over you know, most other people who have no idea about any, any of these things. And then if you can use that information to make smart investments, then you, know, you are probably more likely to, to gain than everybody else. And and you don't actually you know you don't even have to be working in some really deep esoteric field like pharmaceuticals, right? You could just be going to the shops if there's a product or a brand you like, and you know you think 
this is just better than everything else. And there's a good reason why, you know, I understand fashion, I understand cosmetics, I understand cars, you know, whatever your sort of passion is, if you, and if you can tap into your own passion, um, you know, your, your sort of research, what Albert's describing becomes, you know, becomes part of your hobby. You kind of get all the benefit of the research for free because you're just interested in this thing. Um, you know, one of our friends, I early identified Lululemon as, um, you know, as being kind of a brand to watch and she bought into that and, you know, I hope she hung on to it. Like she's done really well if she did. Do, do, so what do you genuinely think if you haven't got the time to kind of do the research, you shouldn't invest in individual companies? I'm not so sure. I, I do um, because, you know, it comes to um, the question of whether your, your portfolio is suitable for you at your for your age and for your you know, level of risk that you're willing to accept. Uh, so if you're not willing to do the work and find out about these things, you know, the portfolio that you end up with may be completely unsuitable for you and you're just better off just tracking the market. How, how about this though? How about you do the work in fits and spurts, you know, maybe once a year, once a quarter, um, you kind of check in with your portfolio and you, you know, you do your research for a fairly intensive period of time, you make the adjustments, and then you just go get on with your life for another year. Do you not think that could work? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what I would, I would advise, you know, people to do. But even then, some people don't want to do that. You know, they just want to, you know, just do other, do other things, right? And if no, that's the case, then, yeah. Yeah. then just, just make your life easy. You know, invest yeah. in, in funds and just, just forget about it. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. You've got to do some modicum of work. But I, I think I'm just trying to say, you know, don't feel that you have to dedicate your life to this and be reading. Oh, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a job, right? It's, uh, yeah. For, yeah. for us, it's a pastime, it's a, it's a hobby. But yeah. if, if you don't you know, have a strong interest, then you're not going to read news all the day, right? all day, every day. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, but you may be willing to do the, 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 minimum, the bare minimum of, of work to choose the right investments. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think most people are like that. You know, I think most people are not going to find business news interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Good. You know, you've uh, you've found a couple of interesting stocks. You've done a bit of research. You build your portfolio. Like, how do you manage that? How do you kind of water it and look after it? So um, maybe we could both share a few thoughts on that. Yeah. Sure. And well, as I said, as I mentioned that, you know you could you know, leverage your knowledge and expertise to choose stocks that, that you know more about, right? But I think if you're starting off, right, you know, you want to start off slowly. Uh, the reason why I say that is that if you choose the wrong stock and it goes down more than you expected, it might put you off, right? You know, you know basically, if you choose a high voltage, volatility stock, yeah, it might just scare you away from investing further. And the advantage of choosing a, like a more stable stock is that you know you you have time to get used to you know the stock market and how it goes up and down. Um, so give us give us know, a quick example of a give us a quick example of like a stable versus a you know a volatile stock. Well, you know, you know, maybe it's a, it's, it's a good place to to say that you're sitting in London. And I'm sitting in Hong Kong, and you know I invest in some 
Hong Kong stocks, right? And uh, my girlfriend recently started investing. When I say recently, I would say I mean within the last year. Right? And you know, I was trying to advise her on how to get started. And I said, no, why don't you just start off buying some like large companies that are relatively stable, right? And obviously, the first company you would choose if you live in Hong Kong is HSBC, right? And if if you look at how HSBC has done over the last year, it's done pretty badly, right? But that's because of you know many factors. You know, you can factor in you know the Hong Kong social unrest, the coronavirus, the uh, the relationship between you know China and other countries in the world. It just hasn't been a good year for HSBC. But normally that would be quite a stable stock that pays uh, a regular dividend. You know, it doesn't go up much. Just you know, quick doesn't go up quickly. Doesn't go down quickly, and it gets you know it gets you started. Um, so that's one example. Obviously, that hasn't worked out. But maybe in the UK, you can choose something like um, a big pharmaceutical, like you know GlaxoSmithKline or you know AstraZeneca. You know, uh, I think the uh, term you would use is blue chip stock. Yeah, agree. Agree. Now, now we're not necessarily recommending anything that we talk about no, on this. It doesn't necessarily mean for me that you have to buy like a bunch of stable blue chip things. If you buy a nicely diversified, a nicely sort of mixed up set of actually individually fairly volatile stocks, you can still be relatively well diversified. So, yes, as you get used to the stock market, you can go for you know, more volatile stocks as you get more diversified. But you know, I think my initial reasons for starting off with blue chips is that you don't have anything to start with. You know, you might have a portfolio of one or two stocks for a few months. And you know, you don't want to see that just drop 30% as as things did early this year. Would you so would you not then um, start off a bit like we both did by buying the indexes? Um, because you've automatically got that diversification built in and maybe use that as a vehicle to get the 10% a year until the point that you've got enough money invested that you can start buying individual stocks without like trading fees eating into you too hard. Yeah, that's another way of, of approaching it, you know, but it's kind of the same principle, right? You're buying something that's relatively stable mm-hmm. to form a foundation for your yeah. portfolio. And then afterwards, once you have that, you can start, you know, choosing more speculative stocks. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say speculative, actually speculative is the wrong word more volatile stocks, stocks that are high quality stocks that you are expected to go up over time. But in the short term, they could go up and down by, by, uh, by a lot. Cool. So we're, we've only got so, a few minutes left. Um, and maybe just to close out the topic of like managing your portfolio, because we didn't really talk too hard about, um, oh, yeah. um, you know, sort of like do, when, when do you add something or when do you cut something from your portfolio? So, I've, like one one of the mistakes I've made in the past is kind of doubling down on things. When I, so I'll give an example, Twitter. Right? I've always felt Twitter, you know, they've just failed to monetize themselves. But why, you know, they are the news now. They're, you know, they're driving the conversation globally. You know, why can't, why are they not the same market cap as a company like Facebook? I just, I never really got it. So every time Twitter halved, I would like, double my investment. I did that two or three times, right? So I was doing... In re- like I, I'm still kind of happy with my Twitter holding, but in retrospect, I was doing exactly the wrong thing. I was like chasing my losers. And actually, the much better thing is to 
let your winners run. If something's doing well, let it run. And if you want to put more money in, like, you know, back your winners, back the things that are, that are growing and demonstrating success rather than the ones that are getting hammered. Yeah. I think the phrase uh, to describe that when you buy things as they go down, is trying to catch a falling knife. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which is a very good analogy because, uh, you know, you basically hit yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think you and I can talk for a very long time on portfolio construction, right? Yeah, about how to construct your portfolio in such a way that it's suitable for you and the, and your financial goals. But if you're a starter, I think uh, one way, as I said, just get started right, and buy a stock and just learn along the way. And one way to do that is that, you know, you just take the amount of money that you want to invest over the next year, right? And just divide it by 12. Yeah. You know, and just buy something each month. You know, each, you have a month to decide what you want to buy next month. You know, it may, be, it may even be uh, a stock you already own, but I would advise against that because, like, as you said, you want to get to a point where you have a diversified portfolio. And I think if you can aim for 12 stocks you know, within a year, you know, that's a good start for uh, a diversified portfolio. I agree. I agree. Well, so Zoom is telling me we've got to wrap up within the next one minute. So I think we should probably bring this first call to a close because I stopped paying my Zoom subscription. Sorry, guys. Although I am a Zoom uh, shareholder. All right. <laughs> um, so, um, you continued. It, indeed, yeah. So like, we, I've, I've enjoyed the chat with you, Albert. Good chance to uh, catch up and, you know. Likewise, likewise. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully this is helpful for a couple of our friends. But, um, you know, let us know what you think in the comments if we post it somewhere that has comments. And, um, you know, if we do, if, if this goes down well, maybe we're back soon. Okay. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Alp.